Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you this morning. Let's take just a moment and pray. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, let me just set my watch here. Let's just take a moment and pray together before we start. Heavenly Father, we need you. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to sit down and minister to us as you ministered to our brother Andy yesterday at the wedding. Would you testify to our hearts of the goodness of your love for us in the gospel? Would you enlarge our um, understanding, give us sight to see, open our hearts to feel, uh, train our lives to do, flowing out of the great love you've had for us? We want to know you better through your word. And so come to us now, minister to us, and grow us up in your image, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been uh, shifting gears during the summer and paying attention to one section of uh, Jesus' sermon. You ever wonder, what would it be like to have Jesus preach to me? And so we're looking at one of the parts of one of his sermons, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, what he does is he um, illustrates the upside-down side of the kingdom, the way that there's an inversion that happens in the gospel that we don't expect. It's inverted to what we normally would think about success being. Who is, what does the Christian long to be? What does the Christian long to be like? Jesus tells us here. And he says blessing consists of these things, and yet they're, they're reversed. They're upside down side of the things that we would expect in life. And so we want to sit for the rest of the summer, the remainder of the summer, at Jesus' feet. And we want to learn from him what it's like to have this inversion go on in us. Because, um, because of what he's done. Now, a word of the warning that we've been saying each week, when you come to the Beatitudes, when you come to a list that's like this, it's very tempting to go through the list and just look at it as a checklist, things that you would check off. Okay, I've got to be meek. We're looking at meekness today. All right, let's figure out what that means, and I'll try to do it. And I'll have it in my journal, and I'll have it on my desk calendar, and I'll have it wherever I see things that will remind me. I'll have these triggers, and it'll remind me to be meek, and I'll put it on, and I'll get better at it, and there we go. The problem is, and and we're, we're trying to come to see that each week, is that you'll never be able to do that on your own. You'll never be able to be meek by trying really hard. And so one of the things that we're going to bring out each week as we look at the Beatitudes is that it's not just what Jesus wants from you. These are characteristics that Jesus has filled for you. He was meek on your behalf. It's not so that you don't have to be meek. He's calling you to be meek here. 
but it's in a sense where it takes the pressure off where your relationship with God and your character traits uh, in result of that are not because of your effort, but because of Jesus' effort. And so not only is meekness true of you right now if you're in Him, but by the Holy Spirit's work in you, progressive work in you, it will be true of you fully and wholly one day where meekness, the meekness that Jesus describes here will be part of who you are. And so, just a word of warning, be careful, resist the temptation, don't come to this as a checklist. It's not going to work. You're only going to feel crushed. And the gospel's not the good news of your effort on your behalf. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' effort on your behalf. In this instance, he's meek on your behalf, and you are given his meekness so that you might live in a different way as you go about life. We... Christians have a need to have a balance of meekness, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. There's a balance to meekness that we have a need for, all right? So um, I've been reading books, you know, as, a, as an introvert who is a, a leader, I've been reading books about leadership, and it's interesting because most of the books about leadership are through an extroverted model of leadership. And so in the last number of years, there have been books out with the name Quiet, in the title. And they talk about the, like there's one woman who wrote, who's an introvert, and wrote about all of the fabulous things that introverts have contributed to society uh, because of sort of the thoughtful, deliberate nature and those kinds of things that happen. And that leadership can happen not through extroversion and uh, the things that we would associate with that and sort of the boldness of extroversion, but leadership can also happen through the quietness of introversion. Now that's interesting. Um, And I chose two books entitled With Quiet in the title, one written by a woman who's an introvert herself, um, sort of making the case for, look, this is not the only way to lead through extroversion. And another one with a quiet in the title, written by an extrovert, based on all of the observations this extrovert made of the introverts in leadership in his life or in her life. And so um, we, tend to, we tend to divide this down the middle. Say, no, you can only be a leader. You can only show blessing in life. You can only do the things that would excel and bring your life, move your life further down the road if you're one way or the other. And in our culture, extroversion kinds of wins, kind of wins out through the leadership model. What we're going to see as we go along here is that Jesus' model for meekness cuts both against both models. Cuts against uh, the extroverted, bold model. Cuts against the introverted, uh, subdued model. And would challenge both, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, would challenge you where you're at. And so what we're going to see is that if Christians are to inherit the earth, you must have a balance of meekness. You must have the balance of meekness. And so we're going to look at why that is. We're going to look at the humility necessary for inheriting the earth. We're going to look at the boldness necessary for inheriting the earth. And we're also going to look at the balance necessary for inheriting the earth. So the humility, the boldness, and the balance, all a part of what it means to be meek. Are you ready? All right. If you have um, experienced leading and through your natural gifts as an extrovert, this, is, this may be more for you than it would be if you were more introverted. Uh, Because humility is something necessary, Jesus says here, for inheriting the earth. It's necessary. Um, What does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are the meek? What does meek mean? And so part of meekness here uh, means a humble 
and gentle attitude to others. A humble and gentle attitude to others. Right? This part of the definition of meekness. Now, where do we get that? Well, it's interesting. Matthew uh, quotes... Uh, he quotes Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 in Matthew 20. It's a little bit later on. And Isaiah talks about the servant, the Messiah, the one who's going to come and represent his people, the one who's going to come and do God's will, and who's going to um, model the characteristics that God has, the identity that God has for the world to see, so the world might benefit. And he's going to be a leader of this, and this is what Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 writes. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. Till he establishes justice on earth, in his teaching the islands will put their hope. And again, Paul plays on that same theme about Jesus, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to Jesus as the one who is the representative. And he says later in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of the Messiah. The meekness and gentleness of the Messiah. So there's, a, there's something written into redemptive history, the way that God unfolds, the hope that he has for you and for me, where meekness and gentleness faced outwardly is built in. Well, what do we mean? Well, first, I mean, you can consider the humility of Jesus. And one of the things about his humility is that he's completely humble and patient and totally submissive to God. Isaiah had written in his uh, chapter 42 that the, the internal attitude of the servant is in faithfulness, and that he won't falter, and he won't be discouraged, right? It's possible to take the idea of humility and just play on the soft side of that. You just play on the soft side of that by defining it. So you can be um, downplayed in your demeanor. You can be not outspoken in, in various situations, but that might not be the humility that you need. You might be doing it through self-protection. Or you might be doing it just merely because your culture has told you that this is the way you show respect. One of the books that I read that was interesting was... Um, it had, I think it was called Bamboo Ceiling. Do you know, the, you know this one? Bamboo Ceiling. The idea was that, um, thinking through leadership again, Asian, Asian Americans who went into positions of leaderships within company were uh, having difficulty working with the rules of the company, particularly with this extroverted, bold model, right? They were having difficulty working within that because... Their culture had grown up where you don't, you know, the proverb is the, the blade of grass that sticks up gets the mower, right? And yet in its exact opposite in business situations, you only, you only get things by sticking up as a blade of grass, a singular blade of grass, right? And so there was this, there was this quietness, there was this unwillingness to speak in the business setting, and the book was written by Asian Americans in business to talk about how to translate these cultural differences, that one thing that seems like humility in your culture isn't hu humility in this setting, right? There is a humility, a humble, patient, and totally submissive attitude towards God 
that we'll, we'll see a little bit embolden you, embolden you in these kinds of situations where it's not about your culture. It comes against your culture in a lot of ways, especially if you grew up in a, in a culture where submissiveness is a part of what you do. It cuts against that. Why? Because it's not the other people around you that you're s- submitting yourself to. It's first and foremost a submission to God. First and foremost, a submission to God. We talk about this in pastoral counseling when somebody, some of you sit down with me and we talk about, okay, what's the reason uh, that you're thinking about doing this or seeing this person or taking this job? And we start to unpack it and we say, you know, what's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of dating this person? Well, I want to be loved, right? What's the motive for wanting to be loved? Because it, it won't go well with me if I'm not loved. Right? What's the standard by which you're making that decision? Well, I was told all my life that if I grow up and get married, then I'll be okay. You see? When, when in essence for the Christian, it's different. The purpose, motive, and standard are different. The purpose for the Christian is to glorify God. God comes first. The motive is a heart renewed by faith in the gospel. It's not about wanting other things that you think you need to make you whole in the created order. And the standard is not in some internal criteria or what other people have told you growing up. The standard needs to be changed in and of itself. So Jesus' humility first is a submission to God, but it's also a gentleness towards others, right? Isaiah went on to write, Bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. True meekness, one commentator writes this, is ultimately always measured by the meekness of Jesus, his humility, patience, and total submission of his own will to the Father, of his Father's um, exemplifies superlatively, superlatively meek persons who possess a balanced perspective on themselves and their relationship both to God and to others. You know, Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an English preacher, and his full definition of meekness is this. We gave you part of it before. His full definition is a humble and gentle attitude towards others based on a true estimate of ourselves. Based on a true estimate of ourselves. Jesus' meekness is humble and gentle attitude towards God and others, and that's what he calls you to. A humble and gentle attitude towards God and to to others. So example. (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to give this now. I didn't think I would be, but here we are. Um, I had a late night where I was, uh, had worked all day, and I thought, you know, I just really want to blow off some steam. So I watched an hour-long show that I had DVR'd, and, uh, and that was fun, but it wasn't quite enough to unwind, and it was getting later. And I, I m- moved around the channel, and I saw, oh, Bagger Vance is on. So I thought I'd watch. I ended up watching Bagger Vance late into the night. It was something that I evidently needed because... I had never noticed that uh, in that story. Bagger Vance is a movie with Will, uh, Will Smith and Matt Damon. And Matt Damon is a character, I guess in the 30s, uh, 20s or 30s, and he's a golfer. Uh, but he was an amateur golfer in the South. And he, was, he showed promise. At 16, he was the youngest person to win a certain kind of match. And he was showing great promise. And the South was, like, really excited about him, where he was from. They were really excited about him. And then he went to war in the 30s then, right, into the 40s. So then he went to war, and he came back. And he was changed, and he had lost his swing. And Will Smith shows up as, as this caddy, this bagger Vance, who begins to work with him on exactly the areas that he needs to work with to get his swing back. 
And I had never noticed it. As I watched the movie, I realized, you know, Will Smith is Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> Please, if you're listening to this sermon somewhere, don't take that out of context. Um, <laughs> and it changed the way that I watched the movie because of the way that Will Smith's character interacted with Bagger Vance, and there was a, or with uh, Matt Damon's character. And Matt Damon's character came through this big tournament that this town had set up, and uh, Will Smith's character was helping him to get a swing back, and he's, and he's working the first day in the golf tournament. It's terrible. He's 12 strokes behind, and they just, everybody's embarrassed for him. And then somewhere along there, he starts listening to Bagger Vance, and he finds his swing, and he pulls it back, and he pulls it back, and he pulls it, and he narrows the, the gap between he and the other pro golfers that he's, he's working against. And he narrows it within one stroke, and on the very last hole of the entire tournament, and he goes to move some brush away from his ball, and his ball moves about an inch. And only he and, and this boy that's helping, young boy who's helping him out with his game and with uh, Bagger Vance as the caddy, Bagger saw it too, but only he saw it. And he looked at that ball, and he looked over to the judges, and he started walking over to the judges to tell them that the ball had moved, which would cost him a stroke and probably the match. And the boy runs over, he runs over, and he begs him in tears, don't do it. I only saw it. It was only you and I who saw it. You don't need to. And Matt's character looks at him. He says, you'll know and I'll know. And that's enough. And he walks over to the judges, and he says, it's moved only by a stroke. And they, they, were, they were upset. The judges were upset. They didn't want to penalize him, right? They, they were upset. And they came over and said, well, sometimes eyes can play tricks on you and you know they tried to give him accord him every sort of benefit of the doubt and he took his club and he said the ball was here and he moved his club and it landed here after I touched this brush you've got to take the stroke now what was interesting to me about that scene is that there was a humble and gentle attitude towards others he was pulling ahead like nobody had ever pulled ahead. He, he knew that he could win the match. And yet, for the sake of the others around him, he didn't cling to his own identity. He worked for the benefit of others. Humility. Now, what does God require of you when you think about this aspect of meekness? He requires a gentle humility towards others. Where does he require that of you? Now, I want you to think. We've been doing some assignments along the way so that you can write in your journal, you can take these things with you, and you can pray to God about revealing them to your own heart. Wherever you have a chance to exhibit a high view of yourself at the expense of somebody else, wherever you have the chance to exhibit a high view of yourself at the expense of somebody else. Now, that's hard because if you're involved with work and career at all, there's things like marketing, promotion, and there's things like self-marketing and self-promotion. How do you represent yourself strongly? And you've got to think about how to do all of these things. Well, there are opportunities all the time. You know, in the workplace, bosses, for example, will often take credit for something one of their, their, superior, their uh, subordinates will do. So you have some, a direct report of a boss who does something wonderful for the project that they're on, and the boss takes credit without ever giving any kind of um, identification to that person. They just take credit, straight out. And it's, it's taking the credit for the work of someone underneath them to advance their career and reputation. So at the, it's at the expense of another, 
and it's for the benefit of themselves. Humility is the opposite of that. Humility would be, because of the gospel, a boss would not take credit of someone underneath them to advance their career at the expense of the person underneath them. Instead, the boss would give credit to the person underneath them in order for that person's career to advance. I've talked to, I think, two people in the entire, my entire pastoral ministry, uh, like all, all of it combined, who have said, you know, what brought me to Christ was that my boss had a chance to take credit, and they didn't do it, and they gave it to me, and I'd never seen that before, and they did it for my good, and it was obvious the good that was coming from it. And I had never seen that before. And it was so different from what I had seen that I went to them and I said, please tell me what this is about. And at which point the boss could say, well, I have a God who gives up his own rights to lift up mine and give me rights so that I might advance in the kingdom of heaven. He loves me that much. I know that my attitude towards even my work and especially this kind of humility, this kind of meekness, needs to show itself in practical ways. And so the person said, I came to Christ because I saw him and this person. I think it's sad that that's so infrequent. We should be the first to demonstrate that kind of meekness to the world. We have opportunity. Wherever you see the opportunity... Take it. Take it to show that kind of humility. Why must you do it? Verse 5, because blessing comes through meekness. You need to be able to show that kind of humility that's, that's pointing outwards. And how can you do what God requires? You need to consider the ways that you need this kind of humility to depend upon God for your reputation in ways that your attitude towards others can soften for their well-being. That's a hard one in Philly. Think about your attitude towards others, softening for their well-being. This is not common, and yet this is what Jesus calls us to. Blessed are the meek, okay? So there's meekness. It's just not a humility necessary for inheriting the earth, but in meekness, there's also a boldness necessary for inheriting the earth. So it's not just humility, it's also a boldness. Why is boldness necessary for inheriting the earth? I'm going to pause for a second. Andy, could I ask you to get me a little bit more water? Thank you very much. Verse 5 says, They shall inherit. They shall inherit. This is a true, this is part of Lloyd-Jones' definition of what meekness is when he says a true estimate of ourselves, that our humility and gentleness towards others is based on a true estimate of ourselves. And so what he says here, what Jesus says, is that they shall inherit. Now, one of the interesting things here is that uh, Matthew, in this verse, is quoting Psalm 37, verse 11, which reads this way, But the meek shall inherit the land... And delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek shall inherit the land. Word for, in the Bible, thank you. The word in the Bible for um, earth is also translated land. Very big, significant, redemptive, historical meaning for the promise that God makes towards his people and what inheritance means. 
So this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, it's the only beatitude that's quoted from another part of Scripture. And it's drawn from Psalm 137, and it stresses the future promise. So inherit is the first one, and there is an embarrassment of riches that is coming to the meek. That's, that's who you are. When the documents are drawn up and the goods are given over, and uh, what do they call the court uh, where you... Oh, what, lawyers among us, what's the uh, court where your, your estate goes into this probate? So when probate is done and you receive the goods, what, what are the goods that you receive? You're an inheritor. You're an inheritor of the earth. So inherits part of them, and then Psalm 37 brings a little bit more light to it. It says, delights themselves in abundant peace, which means shalom. It's full flourishing. It means that the psychological alienation and the physical alienation and the sociological alienation and the emotional alienation and every level of alienation that you experience will be undone, that you will inherit the antidote to the undoing of those things. Of all alienation, you will inherit the antidote the opposite state of those things. You're going to delight yourselves in abundant peace. All of that alienation will be undone. Meekness is a humble gentleness towards others must not remain isolated in humility and gentleness alone. But humility and gentleness must flow out of a true estimate of yourself. Now, if you're an introvert and you're working in the workplace or you're working as a Christian or you're just being in relationship as a Christian, you've got to know that you cannot stay only in humility, only in that side of meekness. You cannot stay there. As much as you're going to give up rights for the benefit of others and allow them to succeed through your giving up of rights, you also have to be able to speak up when the rights of somebody is being infringed upon, when justice is not moving forward, when the elements of the kingdom are not being done. You have to be able to speak up, and you have to do so with a certain amount of intensity. You know, Jesus was meek and mild. He was born in a manger. He came to encourage those who were discouraged and without hope. And yet when it came to trying to make the temple a place of worship into a place where people made money and exchanged money, he got real ticked and he overthrew tables and he threw chairs and he made a whip and he started whipping things. And he's just, he, he was standing up for something. He was standing up for something in his meekness. It's interesting because meekness describes that aspect too. There's a balance there that you can't get away from. It's not just humility for the, and gentleness so that others might benefit. There is a boldness, a willingness to stand up for what is right. An understanding of where your identity is, where it comes from. There's a boldness required of true meekness in order to inherit the earth. Now, several, you know, several brief illustrations bring this out. Elizabeth brought one out with Kierkegaard's king who became a beggar to go and actually have contact and gave up his kingship so he can have contact with this woman in the village. I read a story also of a king. Um, it was an interesting short story and there was a king and you come into the story and everything is in disarray and there are these vying factions vying for political gain trying to take over the kingdom why because the king is apparently without health he's doesn't seem right in his mind he seems old and feeble not the warrior 
warlord that he once was to defend his people, and he was just reduced to something much less, a shadow of his former self. And he, you come into this story where the kingdom is just in disarray and his family is weeping for him because he's just not the man that he was. And you find out as the story progresses that the king was actually feigning this weakness and this ignorance and this malady the whole time because he knew that there were uh, people who were trying to take over his kingdom and they were in secret. And so he feigned weakness to bring them out. And when he, when the moment came, he rose to his identity. He rose to who he was. He took hold of his sword. And he even, part of the story is just him getting his body back because he had spent so time trying to draw out the evil in his kingdom through weakness, through mildness, that it took him a while to just sort of like shake that off and get some of his old, old fitness back, where he was really living, where he was really at. You can see this in Lord of the Rings, you know, when the, when the king of Rohan is overtaken, right, by Saruman, it's overtaken, and he's weak, and he's feeble, and he's old, and his chair, he's disheveled, he can't talk, he can only talk through this weaselly little guy. It's a terrible thing. And when he's free, when Gandalf frees him from this influence, he's shaken, and he's weakened. And Gandalf says to him, what? Maybe the king will remember something of his former self if he grabs hold of his sword. And the king grabs hold of his sword, and there's a great image of him grabbing hold of his sword, and you can see the will coming back into his arm and through his hand. He remembered his identity. There was a boldness about it that brought the kingship out, brought him to the task. So it is with you. So it is with you, gentle and humble Christian, that in Christ you are right now a rightful heir to the throne because Jesus has promised that you will inherit the one who has the identity of an heir. You would inherit the things of the one who has the identity of the heir. What does this mean? Meekness is a true estimate of yourself. It's not just a humble gentleness towards others, but it's a true estimate of yourself. And you've got to know the hope of the gospel in estimating yourself it's not that Jesus have nothing within you that would bear any kind of recognition from God, that it's only Jesus who has that and that you're in him. But the other side of that is you're in him. There's powerful news in that, in the fact that you stand not condemned in your own record. You stand not clinging to your own effort to somehow bring some scrap of identity that you can stand on and have two feet with. It's not like that. Your identity is in him and he's given you everything. His meekness is your meekness. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus' meekness. And yet there's a sense in which that meekness is not yet fully wrought in you, fully brought out, fully developed, fully bloomed. But by the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, he'll complete the work that he's begun in you. One day you'll stand before him unashamed, fully, truly, meek as you need to be. What does it require of you? You need a true estimate of yourself because of the gospel. It's interesting. Either bold in our society, like in the workplace that we've been talking about through extroversion, or humility through introversion is not enough. This cuts against both of those things. 
You need humility and gentleness that goes out towards other people, but you need a boldness that recognizes who you are, who Christ made you you to be, so that you can live in that way towards other people. There's an incredible amount of balance. Your identity goes with you wherever you go into every corner of life. You need this in all of those places where you think about where you need this kind of boldness, where you need to know your identity in the one who's given you such an identity. Verse 5 says, inherit the earth. That's what blessing means. That's what meekness results in. Consider the line that we sometimes sing as we worship from that song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Would you consider this this week as you pray and as you think about it? The line is this, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Dwell on that. There's richness beyond measure that you've been given because you're in Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, comes to him. He, he wants to give you everything because he's earned everything. So you need both humility and boldness to inherit the earth, but where will you ever get that kind of balance? We started off saying there's no way, there's no way that you can look at a list like this and just try hard to be meek and do it. There's no way to do that. You know that you'll fail. You might succeed at least by your own concept of what meekness is for a couple days, but then you'll find, yourself, you'll find a moment where you'll just, you know what, I really didn't consider this other person's need for their benefit before my own. I didn't do it. I wasn't meek. And that brings us to our last point, which is the balance that's necessary for inheriting the earth. Jesus' humble and gentle attitude towards others based on the true estimate of himself. His humble and gentle attitude towards others based on the true estimate of himself. Now, verse 5, again, says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. This is intense language. This is intense language because all of history, we know through the Gospels and we know through Scripture, is going towards a point where creation that is now temporary and provisional will be rewoven in such a way. The Greek word for it is palingenesia. Rewoven in such a way that everything will be made new and permanent and immovable and not transitory like we have now where things are breaking apart. It's a hard kind of world to imagine, but the, the Scripture describes it as a world where every tear... Where, what are the tears that you've shed? What are the tears that you've shed? There is a day coming where all of creation and the world that we live in and the new city that God will give us were those tears. Those are the ones you bring to him because those are the ones he promises to wipe away. There's a great inheritance. It's the earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Hebrews 2, the author of Hebrews 2, 5 through 8, puts it this way. He writes, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
Friends, there's a balance in meekness that only Jesus can have. There's a balance in meekness that only Jesus can have. Who can leave the inheritance? Who can leave the inheritance? We talked about probate before. Thank you for the term. Who can leave the inheritance? It's the one who rightfully owns the estate. Who is leaving the inheritance here? Who's pronouncing the blessing on those who inherit it? Jesus sets himself up as the one who's able to give the inheritance, for they will inherit the earth. And who can receive an inheritance except the named heir? Who can receive the inheritance? And yet Jesus says here that they, the meek, shall inherit, shall, definitely, definitively. This is the way that it's written. This is the way that will come down. If you're meek, you're blessed through the inheritance of the earth. It's mine to give, but Hebrews 2.8, putting everything in subjection to him, crowned him with glory and honor, it's also mine to receive. And guess what? He receives it on your behalf. He receives it on your behalf. Were the whole realm of creation mine, that were present smart too, far too small, right? Only Jesus has the balance that you need to inherit the earth. He is both the giver of the inheritance and the one to faithfully inherit all things. And he represents you in that. Representation, it's part of our faith. You see this all throughout the Bible. You see it in David and Goliath, right? This interesting thing where there's this little shepherd boy and uh, there's a big giant who's an enemy of, the, of God's people, and the armies have come gathered against God's people, and they say, look, we're so confident that we'll just, and this was the way in, in times of old, we're so confident that we'll take our representative, and you take your representative, and they'll fight together, and that will decide the conflict. It saves us a lot of bloodshed, and, you know, if you're agreeable to that, then, then we'll go that way. And so David, nobody wanted to fight the big giant. David, the little shepherd boy, comes up and, and fights the big giant, And he wins, and he wins the victory for God's people because he was representing them. He was representing them. Now, if you stop short there and you say, yeah, be like David who slew the giant, have faith like that, that's meekness and boldness, like the humility and boldness of meekness combined together, it's going to do the same thing as if you try to use this as a checklist. The point, folks, is that David and Goliath point to Jesus who slew our big enemy, our greatest enemy, the most fearful enemy, the one from whom none of us can escape facing. And many of us cower in the face of this enemy. Jesus slew our biggest enemy, the giant of death, and he brings freedom and life through his rising victorious over death on our behalf. His kingdom is now your kingdom. His inheritance is now your inheritance representation. And he's promised that by his spirit, he will continually grow the meekness of his character in you. Would you, as you go into the week, the rest of the week, would you let Jesus represent you in his perfect balance of humility and boldness? Would you let him do that? Would you let him represent you? He's the only one who's blessed because of his perfect meekness. He's the only one to inherit the earth 
He's also the only one to give all that to you because he loves you. He treasures you, and he's going to make you like him. Any time this week where you're tempted to find yourself proud or too timid, remember verse 5, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Rest in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We call you Father. We prayed earlier, our Father, not because of some sort of general connection to you that's true, but because Jesus, the perfect Son, was cast out so that we could be brought in as sons and daughters, members of the family, with Jesus, Jesus our elder brother, guests at the wedding feast, the guest, the bride, able to eat and sup with the true bridegroom, able to partake in the beauty and wonder and lavishness of the grace of the kingdom. Right now, we see but little, Father. We need your Spirit to help us to see boldly and fully. Make us as you promised. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.